1: Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. to you. Hello there. How's it
2: going? Heath Klein in for Chuck Oliver today. Thank you for hanging out with us during this holiday week. Of course, Chuck's here probably about 49 weeks out of the year total, but we've got the college football for you, all 52. And of course, this is a giant week, lots of things going on. And today, today we got word on something that wasn't totally shocking, but it takes a game that probably wasn't on your radar and moves it really high up. I got to be honest. Most of us, unless you're an Iowa Hawkeye fan, we've, we've all had our moments where we kind of joked about how bad their offense was. And we respect the defense. But that doesn't mean that we're choosing to engage in either. You know? There's a lot of college football on TV in any given weekend. And after you got a certain level of marveling at the spectacle of how can it be this bad? Oh, my Lord. Watching them in Minnesota, and it's 12 to 10, and you're saying, how how can these people subject themselves week after week to watching this football? How can you do that to yourself if you're an Iowa fan? After that, most of us walked away. Because we're not Iowa fans. We don't have to do it. Iowa football all year really not all year, all the last few years, has been the equivalent of an all-you-can-eat buffet, but the only thing on the buffet is broccoli stalk and, and tapioca pudding and black licorice. You can sustain yourself on it. You can eat that, and you can get enough calories to make it through another day. But if you had any other restaurant choice, you wouldn't go to that buffet, and so most of us don't. And so it wouldn't have mattered who Iowa was playing in their bowl game, Unless it was the only thing on TV, you probably weren't going to watch it. Me neither. But now, now we have a reason to watch. And it's not Iowa, although Iowa will be interesting because that is quite a defense to debut against. And that is what is happening for Tennessee. The word has come down this morning officially. Joe Milton will not start, will not play for Tennessee in what would be his final college game. He's going to sit out. And Nico Yamaleva, the much touted freshman quarterback, will make his starting debut in this game. And I want you to just go back and think. Whatever you think about any of this process that we have now in college sports, whether it's whether it's the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, and the monies that have been attached to it, all of it, there had to be one time where you first heard something that wasn't just, oh, that's different, that's a change. There had to be a time where there was that first moment you heard something, you said, wait a minute, what? Did I hear you What? And Nico was that guy for most of us. Maybe not you, but for most of us. Remember, the athletic reported that there was a school. They didn't specify which school, but it didn't take long for people to figure out who they were talking about. The athletic reported that there was a school whose collective for a top quarterback had come up with an offer of $1.8 million. And while we all kind of understood on an intellectual level that things were changing, and it was possible now for players to make money above board, we were past the days of uh, putting, the, putting the car in grandma's name or uh, dropping off money in a, an envelope, you know, maybe in the mailbox that wasn't delivered by the postman or something like that. It was one thing to know things had changed. It was another to find out that boosters wanted to win so bad at a school that they were willing to bet $1.8 million, not all just for one year, yearly on a quarterback being the answer to their problems. Because we can all go back and look at five-star quarterbacks over the last few years that were coming out of high school and point to just as many examples of guys that did not live up to what they were supposed to be. As the ones that turned out to be special. Caleb Williams would have obviously been worth every penny of $1.8 million if somebody had paid that for him. But there are some other guys that, in some cases, are already on their second or even third schools that were five stars that never came close to living up to that billing ever. Just even in the most recent clash, you have a guy in Dante Moore who was super hyped up, big deal prospect, already transferring. Malachi Nelson at USC. Absolutely supposed to be an elite quarterback, one of the very best in the class, if not the best transferring and not just transferring, transferring after one year and not getting all that much interest. If you remember the initial wave of schools linked to him was far from a roll call of the big time programs. It was more, eh, I don't know where it is. Maybe this guy wasn't what he was supposed to be. Everybody in Knoxville seems very optimistic about what Nico Emilević can be. And we'll see. Maybe he will live up to every dime of it like a Caleb Williams would have. But now we're going to begin to get a look. I think if you're a Tennessee fan, I think you love this because if it's good, if it's a strong game, he's putting it together against a really big-time defense. Again, Iowa make all the jokes you want about Iowa's offense, But their defense is the only reason that program won 10 games. Phil Parker won assistant coach of the year for a reason because they have had to carry uh, this anchor that is the offensive scheme Brian Ferencz has run the last few years. And so you're getting a chance now to see your star quarterback debut against a team that knows how to game plan, knows how to execute. Now, do they have top to bottom the kind of athletes he's going to see week in, week out in the SEC? Probably not, frankly. Uh, But what they do have is really sound, excellent football players at every position. This is not a team that you can just go out there and on pure athleticism just put up a ton of points. And so we'll see. We'll see what he looks like against them. And if he has an okay day, you feel good about it. If he has a great day, you feel fantastic. But even if he has a bad day, you say, hey, you know what? Now he's got that first learning experience against a really tough opponent. And now you get all the spring all of summer, all of fall, to get him ready, and we'll see how much better he can look the next time out. So, I mean, unless he goes out there and just throws passes that look like he's throwing them like Garo Yaprimian from back in the day, short of something like that, I can't imagine a day that goes poorly enough that it would really kill Vol fans' excitement for the prospects of what he could be as a quarterback. But now, all of a sudden, you've got a game... That goes from being must not see TV to one that to me is as interesting as any bowl game we've got. That's not one of the actual games of the playoff. There's some other games we're going to get you ready for today that I think for different reasons are pretty interesting as well. We obviously can't get into with a guest every single game going on this week. There's too many of them. So I tried to pick out some specific games that I think have really interesting potential. And we'll obviously preview them all through the week, including, of course, on Friday Uh, The biggest ones, the playoff games are coming up on the first. But uh, before this, I got to be honest, probably wouldn't have said very much about Tennessee and Iowa this week at all. And now instead, uh, you look at that wave of games at the start of January 1st, you got Wisconsin LSU. That's fine, I guess. Again, it's the debut, much like this situation. You've got a quarterback sitting out in Jaden Daniels, so it'll be the debut of Garrett Nussmeyer as the likely future starter for LSU. That's not a bad game to watch, but Wisconsin hasn't been very good this year. Liberty and Oregon, there's morbid curiosity about just what's it going to look like when Liberty finally goes against somebody with high-level athletes. Most people don't think it's going to go very well. They gave up a lot of rushing yards to New Mexico State, so if you gave up a lot of rushing yards to New Mexico State, odds are pretty good that Oregon's going to be able to do a lot against you too. But that would have probably been the game of the three that would have gotten the most eyeballs just because it's Oregon, at least at the start. Now I'm telling you it's Iowa-Tennessee. It's no question. It's Iowa-Tennessee, a fascinating debut game now. And then we get into the big ones, the two playoff games after. So uh, now maybe I need to make sure I've actually got the two or three TV set up going. And I, before, I would have been more than happy to look at the box score and say, OK, it's 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 13 points for Tennessee. OK, they've got an insurmountable lead now. There's no way Iowa can catch up. Tennessee's got 13. Um, I'm really interested now to see what this is like. And remember what we've also seen just since that debut. First, it was Nico. Then it was Florida with Jaden Rashada and everything that came out about that whole saga and that somebody somewhere made a contract proposal that apparently they did not have the actual scratch to make work. And so... After he signs, you let him out of his letter of intent. He winds up out at Arizona State. Uh, That whole situation, how it played out, was just really unfortunate. Uh, By all accounts, Rashada seems to be a really good kid. He didn't do anything wrong. It was the people involved in this whole process that that just committed way too much money to a player who was regarded as a good prospect, but not even a five-star prospect. It was bizarre how that played out. And so that kind of replaced Nico as the next kind of cautionary tale, I guess, about how just out of whack right now the economics are. Look at what's happened since then. Now you're seeing it move towards, wait a minute, why are we going to give this money to recruits when we could give this money to established guys, to proven products at the quarterback position? Why don't we try and redirect our money towards somebody who's shown he can do the job And bring him in for a year or two at the school of choice rather than hope that we found the right five-star quarterback as opposed to the ones who've already transferred just one semester into their career. So I don't know how many more versions of Nico there are going to be out there. There's still some. I'm not telling you that there aren't people who want five-star quarterbacks. Obviously, there are. But I don't know how many more stories like this there will be. And if he doesn't work out, if he turns out to be okay, for Tennessee, then I think that even more kills that vibe for let's go out and try and buy ourselves that future superstar. But again, make a note of it. You've got new plans for January first. This is going to be fascinating. Later on in this hour, we are going to check in on Clemson, see what's going on with them as they get ready for an interesting matchup with Kentucky. Dabo Sweeney and company were kind of on the brink, four and four, won their last four games, and, and kind of pulled things out of the fire, but. He's only made so many adjustments, and one of them has not been so far, heavy transfer portal use. So does he feel like he's been vindicated because they won their final four games? If they win the bowl, does that further kind of dig in that the idea that, hey, I'm telling you my way is right. I know we're an eight-win, now nine-win team this year, but my way is right, and I don't need to make any more major adjustments? Or is there a thought that after the bowl, because remember, it was last year after the bowl that he made the offensive coordinator change, could there be any more shoes to fall in Clemson. We'll find out more about that later on in this hour. We'll also check in today with, among other places, Missouri, getting ready for a big bowl game with Ohio State, as well as Tennessee, and uh, rather, uh, as well as Oregon. Okay, let's try it again, huh? Oklahoma, a lot of college football teams. May I just say random names until I get it right? I promise, Oklahoma is who I'm talking about. Coming up in the next hour of the program as well. A lot of things to hit. Glad you could be with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show.
1: Now, more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show, Heath Klein in
2: for Chuck today. Thank you for hanging out with us for some college football conversation here during that week between Christmas and New Year's. Hopefully, you have time off and you're just enjoying rack relaxing a little bit, enjoying yourself. But if you're working like us, no worries. We appreciate you making the time Either way, Uh, one of the things, obviously, that is a storyline, continues to be a storyline for all the bowl games coming up this week is who's playing, who's not. We thought we had an answer yesterday on what the status might be for at least a couple of guys at Georgia because Georgia has been saying, at least according to Kirby Smart, guys who are healthy right now, he anticipates, will play, but there are some guys who are not healthy. And one of the guys who pretty clearly was not healthy was Brock Bowers, did not even get off the team plane in Miami, but for what it's worth, they're at least leaving the door open. They Maybe I think there's probably about as good a chance of you playing in the game as Brock Bowers. But regardless, uh, Georgia tight ends coach Todd Hartley saying this morning, quote, if he's healthy enough to play, then he'll play. And if he doesn't, we'll see what happens after that. We're still wait and see at this point. I, I, I don't know that you have to be all that terribly wait and see about what happens after this game, regardless of whether or not he is able to play, but even though he didn't get off the team plane, it's at least conceivable, I guess, they're at least leaving the door open, maybe give FSU something to think about, then maybe he could find his way down there. So it certainly does not sound like you're going to get any kind of definitive answer out of Georgia about the availability of any players if even a guy who didn't come down on the team plane is still being held out as, hey, maybe, There's, there's a chance, maybe. Again, we'll see who else maybe over these next few days has some new information on who's going to be available or not available for their games. I was mentioning Oklahoma, one of the teams we're going to talk about later. They're kind of in the same position as Tennessee. Jackson Arnold has played more for them this year uh, than Nico has for Tennessee. But I am interested to see him in his first game as a starting quarterback. And for people who always say, ah, who cares about bowls anymore? What can they do? That is exactly what we can get out of some of these bowls. It's not necessarily a representation of what these teams were in the regular season always, But it can be a chance for us to see what happens when some players that haven't been on the depth chart all year get moved up because of the need for more guys to be available for the bowl. Who does something to stake a claim and say, I might be somebody who could be a major factor for you next year. So I always enjoy seeing who does that. I want to take a quick look at the transfer portal team rankings, because as we've talked about on this show, there's a lot going on right now with trying to figure out for each school, what is your right formula? There is not a one-size-fits-all formula that's right for everybody. So far, for example, most famously, a Deion Sanders at Colorado seems to be living largely off the transfer portal. They have not signed double-digit high school kids yet this year for their class. They're getting kids out of the portal. It's not as big of an overhaul as last year when he literally took more kids out of the portal than Colorado has scholarships, 86 to 85, It's not that, but it seems pretty clear right now that Deion Sanders is focused on the idea we have to win quickly, we have to get better now. I'm not interested in bringing in a three-star high school kid and hoping three years from now he's ready to be a big-time contributor. That's not what I'm looking to do in Boulder. So that's the extreme, and then you've obviously, as our next guest will talk about, got a guy in Dabo Sweeney who's chosen so far to almost entirely pass on getting kids out of the portal as a way to make his program better everybody's trying to find their middle ground and at the moment the team that ranks at the top of the transfer portal is Ole Miss I think this year is a perfect example of how some teams are going to play the portal in future years is it realistic for Ole Miss to contend for the playoff every year is that something we believe can happen I don't think that the answer is yes. Even if you're a hardcore Ole Miss fan, I think you can honestly look at your schedule this year and say the combination of a returning quarterback in Jackson Dart, some pretty good talent, and what appears on paper to be one of the most favorable schedules in the SEC. I would argue if you were ranking the schedule's degree of difficulty, one to 16, and one is the highest and 16 is the lowest – I don't think you could put Ole Miss's schedule any higher than 15th on the schedules this year. It's not just about who you play. It's about when you play them. Everybody has to play somebody. But Ole Miss has got a very manageable schedule to get to the playoffs because that's the thing. Before, to get to the playoff, you had to feel like you could win the SEC. And Ole Miss has never even made it to Atlanta, so it's hard to make a case why Ole Miss was going to win the SEC when they've never even won the West. But now things are different. Now you don't have to be good enough to make it to Atlanta to be playoff good. Missouri is not a team that was good enough this year to make it to Atlanta. But Missouri, if we had a 12-team playoff, would absolutely have been in the 12-team playoff. And Ole Miss would be positioned as well to be a team that could very easily be in the 12-team playoff. We can't know 100% what the committee would have done if they were picking teams because... It's clear by putting FSU at five, they didn't put a ton of thought into what they were doing after the first four, but you'd feel pretty good about your chances right now if you're Ole Miss. And when you look at that schedule for next year and what you've got coming back and the fact that some of the teams that you have to compete with, you might be catching at a decent time. Teams are transitioning at quarterback. Teams in some cases are transitioning their coaches altogether. There's some things about this schedule you really like. Do I think that Ole Miss will be top of the transfer portal every year? I don't. Even though Lane Kiffin has shown that he is good at recruiting out of the portal, I think he and Ole Miss have made a conscious choice to say, this is our year to get in the playoff. Throw the resources at 2024 specifically. I think they will be in the top 10 on the portal most years. I don't think they'll be at number one. But this year, almost everybody that they want, they have gone out there and they have gotten. It has been clear A major resource commitment has been made. After them, you got Colorado, you got Louisville, you got TCU, Texas Tech as your top five. Your next five, South Carolina, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Arizona State, NC State. So, what does that tell us? None of those teams are teams that you would say year in, year out, you expect to be even the best two or three in their conference. None of them. This is where I think we're going. We're going to have the very best programs, the Georgias, Alabamas, LSUs of the world, and the SEC, continue to largely do their recruiting from the high school ranks, and they will then go into the portal, and they'll get enough kids in the portal to meet their needs, but what they won't do is they won't rely on the portal for a massive infusion of talent. Meanwhile, the guys that they took... As high school kids, in some cases, will get blocked. And a year or two in, will decide, I want to go somewhere else where I can get on the field. And where are they going to go? They're going to likely go to the kind of schools we talked about there. That school that's good enough to be in the same conference as those big-time programs that they went to originally. But at the same time, probably not a school that was on their list originally as a four- or five-star coming out of high school, now it's like, okay, I could play and and get exposure still, be in the SEC, be in the Big 12, whatever it might be. I could be at one of these schools, still have a good experience for a year or two, but I'm going to get on the field, and I'm going to go there. And the people at the place that's losing them will say, yeah, I wish we could hold on to this guy, but hey, we got another five-star in the pipeline. We'll be all right. I think that's what we're looking at for these schools. There's not a single school on that list that surprises me. Because for them it makes sense. It's smart if you're Kentucky to get Brock Vandegrift with two years of eligibility after he's at Georgia, compared to whatever you could get as a high school quarterback. It's smart for some of these programs like Louisville to get pass rushers that have a year or two left rather than try and win a battle for a five star. You're not going to do that. Those names, those names are going to be real familiar in that top ten. I suspect we talk some Clemson coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show.
1: Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show.
0: $5 minimum balance required. Support for extra 1063 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.
2: Roll it on here on a Wednesday on the Chuck Oliver Show. Heath Klein in for Chuck today. Again, so many bowl games, lots of interesting angles on all of them. So as I said, let's uh, let's check in on a few of them here over the next couple of days, see what we can learn about some of these teams in these games. One I think a lot of people are curious about, not just in this game, but really what's going on overall with the program, is Clemson. And joining us right now, a man who spends a lot of time thinking about exactly that, is Lawton Swan. You can check him out, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Lawton, how are you? Heath,
3: I'm doing well, man. Have you had a uh, Merry Christmas and the holidays have treated you good?
2: Ah, couldn't be better, and I certainly hope the same for you. Uh, are, are you are you in the car on your way to Jacksonville? Is that where you're headed? I know you're, you're you're riding today. Is that where you're going? Yeah, it's funny. No, I'm
3: actually going to visit my dad, who lives kind of down that way. I'm going down towards Beaufort. So I, I do have on the Jacksonville Jaguars hoodie today, though, so... You, you got me
2: halfway there. All right. So they're headed for Jacksonville. I guess they're already in Jacksonville. They'd be a little late getting there at this point for the week of the game. Uh, what in your mind do you take from the way Clemson closed out this season? Because they obviously had a, a really difficult first eight weeks. Yeah, you know, You're losing to a team like an NC State again. And people are saying, hey, this thing, this thing's not working. And then they finish out with a four-game win streak. So Dabo Sweeney makes changes to both sides of the ball when it comes to coaching on the lines. But other than that, so far, it hasn't been maybe the level of change some people thought he might make. What do you take from the last month and what it says about the program and where it is right now?
3: Well, you know, certainly I think in an era where we see players that opt out of bowl games and transfer and, and You know, so I don't want to call it giving up on their team, but you kind of feel like that's the nature of where we are. It it was a team that didn't give up, right? And so to finish the way they did, certainly offensively against South Carolina, they struggled. But uh, they found a way to win that one and and ultimately got to an 8-4 and year with a chance to get to nine wins. And, you know, this has been a team that's been accustomed to 10-win seasons. And, you know, Dabo Sweeney's kind of harped on the fact that, you know, the consistency that this program's created, you know, is really – just a few programs have matched it in the history of college football, Florida State, Alabama. And so, you know, I think that that's kind of what you see is that, yeah, it's, there's a disappointment in the fan base because of the success that they've had for so long. Uh, but I think you feel like the future is bright. I mean, they've got a ton of guys playing in this bowl game who are freshmen. I think you saw freshmen throughout the year, specifically late in the season. Khalil Barnes plays so well that a guy like Andrew McCuba who was the freshman, you know, of the year in the ACC when he came in, uh, decided that he was going to go to Texas and finish up his career. So, it's you know, it, it's really tough to put your finger on, but I would say that Clemson fans, they look at the Matt Luke hire, they look at the fact that Chris Rumpf is back, and I think there's a level of excitement. But, yeah, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to continue to feel good about an eight and four year after you've become accustomed to making a run to the college football playoffs.
2: Yeah, both of those guys did buck a trend with Dabo Sweeney, and that's what I think is interesting is that last year he, after the bowl game, did make the move to go bring in Garrett Riley, someone who did not have a previous connection to him, to the program, brought him as OC, but he didn't let him make other moves on the position coaching side offensively to have other guys who maybe are also familiar with what he wants to do and know how to teach it. He didn't choose to do that, and he had leaned on this idea that He was going to grow his own coaching talent. So a guy like Thomas Austin has never worked anywhere outside of Clemson, played there, grows up there as a a coach, and then becomes the full-time coach on the line. And so bringing in a couple of veteran guys with a lot of experience and credibility seemed to be at least an acknowledgement, all right, some of what I was doing maybe wasn't working as well as as I was hoping it would. But at the same time, he still has several guys on the staff that do fit that description of somebody that seems to be there as much because of their familiarity with Dabo and how Dabo likes to do things as necessarily how they're regarded as position coaches. And he still does not appear in large part to be willing to do much out of the portal. So how much, if at all, can we say Dabo has really changed his approach here? Yeah, I
3: think that, the the bigger of the two moves for me was the Thomas Austin move and uh one with Matt Luke when you see the the fans on from Old Miss on social media uh just talking about the the type of guy he is I mean it, you feel like he's gonna fit well with what Clemson wants to do and uh, it was pretty apparent the offensive line had it had its struggles and I, I would say you know when you look at the 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 DJ Uiunglaule years and and certainly uh, K. Klubnick's season this past year. You know a lot of those offensive issues have come down to the fact that it's just a lack of time in the pocket for the quarterback to really do a whole lot. And it's asking an awful lot of anybody uh, when you don't have a, a great offensive line in front of you. Or maybe it's not that maybe it's not that they're not talented, but maybe it's technique. And I think that's kind of the goal that they have. So. Seeing that that Thomas Austin was a guy like you said that played for Dabo Sweeney, kind of grew up in the system. For him to make that change, that was the more significant change for me because Lemansky Hall and Dabo Sweeney's relationship goes way back. Uh, but Lemansky Hall is an older guy, you know, and and certainly he and Dabo Sweeney, it was a little different, right, in the way they termed the transition. Uh, for one, you know, it was Lemansky Hall's going on to other you know other things that he wants to pursue. And then for Thomas Austin, it was basically he was relieved of his duty. And so I think from that standpoint, that's where the Thomas Austin uh, firing is so different from the norm because he really is a guy that's grown up right there in that system. And I think from the fan standpoint, you know, I think they really felt like the the offensive line was an area that needed to be addressed, not just on the day-to-day basis, uh, but in recruiting. And I know it's a weird timeline with recruiting, but, uh, it, you know, you got to make your moves when you can, and I, I think this Matt Luke hire will be a good one for Clemson uh, because you get not just a guy that's a you know an offensive line mind, but he's an offensive mind, which will go great alongside with Riley, I think. And then ultimately, if you look at the you know the experiences that he's had throughout his tenure. You know, he brings a ton of experience to the table for Clemson.
2: Yeah, I I don't know if Dabo is the kind of guy that would lean on somebody having been a head coach to get some perspective of, hey, how did you do this? And Luke obviously didn't have that long a head coaching stint at Ole Miss, but it's still the first time in a while he's had somebody in the building who does have that head coaching experience in a coaching role, and he's obviously got some other guys that have been involved with the program through the years. But but for one of the 10 on-field coaches, this is the first time in a while he's got a guy who's actually had some head coaching experience, so we'll see if that pays off. I'm curious a lot about the portal. Again, I understand he has always advocated for the idea that he believes he can develop his own talent and that he's somehow if he goes out and gets kids out of the portal, he's – He's kind of disrespecting his own guys by saying they're not good enough, but it's pretty clear that you have other programs that are the high-end programs you're trying to compete with. If you want to be back in in the level that Clemson was in the middle of the last decade, they are all going and adding select pieces. They're not going wholesale, but they're adding select pieces to fit wherever they see there's a, a void. He continues to have guys leave. A, a Bo Collins, you could argue how good Bo Collins is, but that still is a receiver with meaningful game experience in your system, and he's leaving. If you're not getting anybody else with meaningful game experience to come up and replace him from somewhere else, I just wonder how long that's sustainable.
3: Yeah, it's it's the uh, you know it's one of the hot topics. Obviously, on my show, that everybody wants to talk about. And I think Clips had eight guys essentially go into the portal. I think everybody's found a destination. The only one that I would label as maybe a move up was the name you just mentioned. Bo Collins, and so from that standpoint, I think you kind of look at it and you feel like, okay, well, you're not losing guys to other, you know, real Power Five programs. I mean, you have a freshman go to pit and some things like that, but you know, what I mean, it's not like you're being raided by other Power Five programs. So I think there's that's the bright side, but I'm with you. Like, it becomes more difficult to justify not going into the portal. It becomes more difficult to justify not going into the portal. You know, if if you are losing a ton of players, when you only lose seven or eight, I think you can look at it and go, okay, we'll continue to ride this wave. But I can tell you, if the exodus ever became so large, right, like if it ever became 13, 15 guys, I don't know how you don't go into the portal to get players. And I'll give you a prime example of of one, and I'm I'm not suggesting that Clemson should pick this kid up, but if you go back just a couple of cycles, Corey Foreman out of California, out of Centennial High School, was the, one of the top prospects in the class, was committed to Clemson, ended up flipping his commitment to Southern Cal. He's a guy that's in the portal. And Clemson needs a defensive end. My, my philosophy has always been that if that was going to go get guys, I think he's going to get guys that he's got really good relationships with. And I think that players like Corey Foreman are guys that you would want to look at if you are kind of trying to gauge what Clemson's going to do. Because even though that kid flipped and went somewhere else, there's got to be a relationship that you built with them that you believed that they would fit your culture. And I think those will end up up being the kind of guys that Clemson will go into the portal and grab. But it is amazing uh, that they've managed to kind of navigate this thing without really relying on the portal. I mean, they've got some guys in the past but not to the degree of the
2: you know a lot of the programs in college football at this point. Lawton Swan with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show from ClemsonSportsTalk.com. dot com. All right, so before we get into the matchup with Kentucky, I'm just curious where you are on K Nick because, look, you mentioned it the, the game against South Carolina, they did not score an offensive touchdown. They won, got the job done, were never seriously threatened, but they did not score an offensive touchdown. He had some moments this season where he, especially near the goal line, kind of decided to do some stuff that didn't seem to be, one, what the coaches wanted, or two that made sense. Uh, he's obviously got talent. Now he's got a year under his belt and a year in the Riley system. Where is Club Nick? How secure is he or should he be as the starting quarterback for next
1: year?
3: Well, I can tell you there are a lot of people that wanted Clemson to go get somebody in the portal to challenge him, but Dabo Swinney seems to believe that Christopher Bozina can do that Uh, as a a red shirt freshman. So we'll see how that materializes. Obviously um, there's not a ton of depth in that quarterback room either. That's another kind of red flag that everybody's got. Paul Tyson, uh, he's one of those guys that transferred in. Uh, He's going to be kind of a player coach this coming season. If they need him, you know, they'll dress him. But I, I'm intrigued by it. He reminds me, I think this is the most fair comparison I can give somebody. He reminds me of a puppy, right? Like, it's like a, a puppy, man. He's just wide open all the time. And occasionally, I think because he's so wide open, he loses sight of the, the little things that you can't lose sight of, whether that's down the distance or the clock. And it's kind of like, man, you know in, in, you know, in big moments, I think Clemson was probably fortunate for a lot of years that you had Trevor Lawrence and you had Deshaun Watson. You had some steady hands and a steady head back there behind the line of scrimmage. Well, still to this point, Cade Klubnick in a large part has not shown in those crunch time key moments, even going back to last season in this first start in the Orange Bowl against Tennessee where Clemson lost the possession right in the, you know, right in the red zone, late in the quarter, late in the half. You, you've got to capitalize in, at this level. And so that's where I would think Clemson fans would want to see a lot of growth between the bowl game coming up against Kentucky in the beginning of next season against the Georgia Bulldogs, because that's going to be a tough one, obviously. Uh, it's just, you know, from a maturity standpoint, you can't be a puppy anymore. At some point, you got to grow up and be one of the big dogs.
2: And as for the matchup with Kentucky, you're talking about a Wildcats team that, yeah, they destroyed Florida in the first half in their building and then really didn't accomplish anything else of note until at the very end of the year, where obviously they, they knock off Louisville, come back, win that game in the fourth quarter. So they're coming into this game probably on the highest note they've been all year. What do you make of the matchup with them?
3: Well, I think, you know, when you look at it, they don't have, from a, a wide receiver standpoint, they, they didn't have great numbers this year. But mathematically speaking, they may be one of the most balanced wide receiving groups in America and so from that standpoint I think that's where the challenge will be for Clemson because the Tigers like I mentioned earlier they got a ton of freshmen starting on the defensive side of the ball especially in the secondary Shelton Lewis is going to be starting at one corner Avion Terrell another freshman is going to be starting at the other corner so it's going to be I think a a battle between a guy Clemson's fairly familiar with and Devin Leary at quarterback and then obviously the wide receivers there at Kentucky and it's you know, they get the best of the Tigers uh, through the air, and then I think it'll be a tough day because uh, that running back, man, I'll tell you what, that guy is a hoss that they've got. I think he's, uh, what, about 850-some-odd yards this year. I mean, he's been tearing it up. So I just think Clemson's got to do a good job in the secondary. And if they do that, uh, and then obviously offensively, uh, they got to make plays. And as long as Antonio Williams is healthy, mixed in with Tyler Brown, I think that gives Clemson a pretty good combo there, at the wide receiver spot, and then, obviously will shipley's willingness to play uh, in the bowl game we don't really know what he's going to do if he's going to go pro or come back for another season uh, but in an era of opt-outs it's always good to have your full complement of running backs heading into a bowl game
2: lawton swan you can check him out at com, clemson sports on twitter lawton safe travels man appreciate you making time for us here on the chuck oliver show
3: absolutely brother always appreciate you
2: that is going to be a really interesting game because, again, last year, it was after the bowl didn't go right that the Davos Sweeney said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the change. I'm going to go with Garrett Riley. Maybe he would have made it even if they looked great against Tennessee, but it seemed like at least that poor showing in the bowl game was part of what initiated him feeling like he needed to do something else. I don't think he's going to make that kind of radical change this time around, but maybe there are some things, if it doesn't go well, that at least lead him to reconsider whether or not this has been as turned a situation from where it was a month ago as he felt like it was. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. Last night we had some bowl games. Just afternoon we had some bowl games. One particular coach has my attention coming out of yesterday. I want some quick thoughts on him and why you should keep this name in mind for your future if you are an SEC football fan especially. That's coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show.
1: Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today.
0: They play. Um, when I talk
2: about the box, um, their D lineman and linebacker core, they play really well together. They're a veteran group, so they play hard together. They know each other. They have good chemistry. Um, so it's going to be a t- big test for us, and we're excited for it. So, Jalen Milro talking about this week and the opponent coming up. Of course, is Michigan. We'll see what they can do with that opportunity when they get the Wolverines coming up on Monday. Going to be a mighty interesting game. Again, it just seems like there's there's kind of this universal consensus of oh, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be Alabama. I I do feel like Michigan has some people that probably are overrating how good they are based on a very limited body of work. But I also think that there's some people who are giving Alabama way too much credit off of just the Georgia game for having all their issues worked out. And the facts are Alabama did play its best ball down the stretch. The game against Kentucky was the most complete game they had played in weeks when they played that. And then obviously the Georgia game is hugely impressive. But even with a month to get ready, even with the fact that Saban is a master coach and certainly will will spot things and come up with ways to show some stuff to Michigan they haven't seen yet. I, I just think some people are looking at history and saying, ah, SEC, Big Ten, SEC's going to win. Big Ten doesn't typically win these kind of matchups. Uh, this is still nobody's idea of a classic Alabama team at its best. I do think Michigan's gotten a little bit overrated for what they were coming into the year, supposedly, versus what they've turned out to be. I know J.J. McCarthy is supposed to be healthier a month of time not to have to play in the game. Maybe we'll get him closer to the player that he's supposed to be when he's at his best. But I, I'm just a little puzzled how many people, just universal consensus seems to be, ah, oh, Bama's got them. Um Maybe. I, I just think some people are taking some things for granted that are not necessarily true about this year's Alabama team in particular. So yesterday we had bowl action, nowhere near as high profile as that game, but important bowl action. I think nonetheless, for some of these programs and what could be accomplished in them, the three games yesterday, you had Minnesota as the one 5-17 and that got to play in a bowl. They beat Bowling Green. I'm not going to uh, try and sell you that that was some kind of critical game. Although, if you're P.J. Fleck, it's probably a good idea to win a bowling game, uh, a bowl game against Bowling Green if you can. <laughs> uh, when you already only won five games, losing to a MAC team in the bowl game probably wouldn't have been a very good idea. But beyond that, not a whole lot to take out of that game. The other two, however, uh, the other two I think do have some useful stuff for us. The night game was Kansas over UNLV. This was a wild game for a lot of reasons. If you watched it, the officials called more flags in a game than I may have ever seen. It was was insane. The officials wanted to make sure that they got the maximum amount of TV time, and some of the calls were just way, way unnecessary in that game. But you had big-time fireworks. Kansas wins the game 49-36, which was about the margin they were favored by Although then, because there were some rumors about the health of their quarterback, the spread actually dropped down to as low as eight and then kind of moved back up once it became clear he was going to play. So you had some some early controversy about what's going on there, who knows what, what's happening. Uh, as it turned out, again, Kansas would have covered, I think, every possible spread or at least pushed it by winning 49-36. to 36. But again, back and forth affair after it was 28-7 Kansas, then UNLV got it down to 28-24 a lot of excitement in that game. If you were just watching it, fun plays. Kansas is genuinely now going to probably be in the top twenty at the start of next year, maybe in top fifteen. Which sounds so bizarre to say. Like last year, they were good, but it didn't sustain over the course of the year. This time, they're getting Jalen Daniels back. Their tailback says he's coming back. They've got athletes. That team, that team will actually be taken seriously from the start next year. In a way, I'm not sure Kansas football has ever been taken seriously. So that was the thing I took from last night. Impressive showing as well for Barry Odom and UNLV. No, they didn't win, but that program has been down for so long. Uh, They had a really nice year. I'll be interested to see if he can sustain that now and build off of it because there's no reason UNLV shouldn't be better than they've been historically. But the other game yesterday you probably didn't spend a lot of time on was Texas State and Rice. Texas State wins. That's eight wins for G.J. Kinney in year one. They've already given him a contract extension, and the contract extension will pay him a million dollars. Translation, if and when in the next year or two somebody comes from G.J. Kinney, they're going to be able to get him out of there. And somebody's going to come. That guy's impressive, man. That, that guy, the job he did, he took more transfers than anybody in college football except for Dion, and he flipped that roster in a hurry. Before the season, the win total in Vegas on Texas State was 4 And they got seven in the regular season and now an eighth in the bowl game. Uh, He did a really nice job with that program. Uh, They're losing their defensive coordinator to Duke. So, again, it's hard to hold on to your staff when you're at a place like San Marcos. So he'll have to show he can consistently make up for losses on his staff. But if you're just filing a name away, a guy who's got a bright future, especially if you're a program that looks to recruit in the state of Texas, which is where his entire career background is, Keep an eye on G.J. Kenny. Keep an eye on Texas State for what they might do next year. Really impressive job by him. Another really impressive job was in Columbia, Missouri. We're going to head in and check out what's going on with the Tigers straight ahead here on the Chuck Oliver Show.
0: Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How?